0: So maybe you're like me. When I see someone dancing, or I hear music, it makes me want to dance. I mean, I know some of you are like, no, not me, but for me, I hear it like big band music. I want to do the jitterbug. More important, Latin music. Like, I am ready to go. I mean, when that stuff starts to go, I want to dance. And some of you, you didn't know this, but when you came in today, You came in today, you didn't realize that I can read your mind, and I know what some of you are thinking, like, I never wanted to see you dance. Why did you do that? I don't need that image in my head. And then some of you are also doing this. You're going, wait, pastors shouldn't dance. And certainly pastors shouldn't dance when they're supposed to be up preaching. A pastor should be more dignified than that. And I've found in the years I've been serving in ministry how many different ways people have said, I should, as a pastor, do this or do that. I should stand behind a pulpit. I should teach more about this doctrine. I should teach more about that doctrine. I should tell people not to worship like that, that they should worship like this. I shouldn't have my shirt untucked. I should pray more. I should, there's all these different things that, that I should do and it's true of my life professionally, but it's also true in my life personally, how many times I'm told that I should do something. In fact, all of us. This is kind of the common refrain that we all experience. I should, you should, we all should. That's, that's sort of a song we should sing. I should, we should, we all should for ice cream. Like, there's, there's something about should that all of us feel and we talk to each other in this should kind of language. I should be a better dad. I should be a better husband. I should be a better worker. I should be a better citizen. I should be a better Christian. I should be more holy. I should be more spiritual. I should be healthier. I I should stop doing this and start doing that. And all this should floats around our hearts and our minds. And if I had a dime, For every time I thought I should, and every time I heard from you or from other people around me, I should, I'd be a billionaire, and so would you. What's incredible about that word should is it actually prevents us from hearing Jesus. It actually keeps us from following Jesus so many times, not always. But so many times, because Jesus said in John chapter 10, incredible verse. John chapter 10, he says, My sheep know my voice, I know them, and they follow me. My sheep know my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And what happens so many times as Christ followers is we listen to all kinds of voices that say should, that are not Christ's voice. And then we get distracted and we don't hear and we don't follow the call of our Good Shepherd. And that's at the very heart of the book of Galatians. So Pastor Eddie's been talking to you. I'm going to follow up with Galatians. And and this whole letter, if you have it, open up your Bibles or turn them on. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look just briefly at verse 1 and then spend some more time in verses 13, 14, and 15. In this entire letter, I could sum up to you and say it's all about Christians should. It's it's an entire letter that he writes to believers, Christians, 2,000 years ago, because their focus is about what they should and shouldn't do, and a group of Christians— decided that when people come to know Christ, they should follow certain Jewish laws and traditions. And Paul takes all this time, and the church has wrestled through all this stuff, talking about, okay, what does it mean? What should a Christian do? And what are the things that the Christian shouldn't be worried about doing? His entire letter is about this topic, and he works through it with them, and honestly, the church today needs to continue to wrestle through this topic of what should a Christian do and what should a Christian not do. And that's what he tackles in verse 1, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, sort of sets the framework for this whole conversation. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. He's talking about how Christ came to the world to free us from what? To free us, yes, from sin. To free us from shame. To free us from fear. To free us from anxiety. I would say he has come to free us from any kind of should that prevents us from hearing His voice. To remove, Christ has come to free us to remove any obstacle that we might have to hearing God's voice, listening to it, learning it, obeying it, and being transformed by God. That His freedom is that holistic. Anything that would keep us from hearing God's voice. And now Paul is warning them It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't get burdened again, enslaved again, trapped again. Now go down to verse 13, where I want to zoom in with you for just a few moments. Look what he says in in context to all of this. He says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. You, my brothers and sisters, were called, verse 13, to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So you have this topic of freedom. He's saying, wait, you're free. Don't get sucked back into slavery it would be easy to think, well, I can do whatever I want. But he gives the caveat here in verse 13 that Christ's freedom does not lead us to license. That's not what his freedom is about. It isn't to give you and me a license to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. That, that's not freedom. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, no, do not use your freedom, verse 13, to indulge the flesh. What does he mean by flesh? Your skin? No. He's talking flesh as a a way of talking about your self-centeredness, your self-focus, your appetites, your self-motivation, self-reliance. That part of you that's so connected to me and what I want and when I want it done that's called sin and leads us away from God. He's saying that self-centered part of you, that rebellious part of you, God has come through Christ to Free you from that lifestyle. He sets you free from following those appetites. He wants to transform you and remove old appetites and replace it with new love. It's so easy for us to hear that we're free, that we think we can do whatever we want. Okay, I got my out of jail ticket. I, I don't have to go to hell anymore. Now I'm going to be forgiven, and so I go to heaven. Therefore, I can live however the heck I want to live. But that's not what this is about, he says. He says, do not use your freedom to indulge your self-centered appetites. Verse 13 continues, rather, here's what your freedom is for, to serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So freedom is not to do whatever I want, instead, Christ's freedom is for me to love, for me to love people. I mean, that's the totality of who God is. He is love. The Bible says it over and over. So so God made the world in love. God loved us enough that when we rebelled against him, he didn't just toss us away. God promised he would send someone in love to fix our problem. And then Jesus, for God so loved the world, he came into the world. And when Jesus showed up in the world, what did he do? He loved God the Father perfectly, and he loved his neighbor perfectly. And he went to a cross to show the love he had for the world, and rose again victoriously. Why? To offer you and me freedom, freedom from our sin and shame, and to empower us to love, to love God the Father and love other people. So he says our freedom is all about loving other people. It's all, the whole law can be summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. He's trying to convey to them that none of us can do that unless we understand a love from God the Father, a vertical love that's coming down from God. He loved us first, and in response I love him. And when that vertical starts to happen, then I begin to start horizontally loving people and killing that self focused self-appetite, indulge my own thing. He's saying, no, I want you to love. Love God and love neighbor. That's freedom. Did you check out the warning in verse 15? If you bite, he's talking to Christians. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Have you ever met a nasty Christian? You're like, yeah, he's right down the row for me. <laughs> Have you ever been in a nasty church? Like mean, mean people, mean Christians and mean churches? You've been there, right? You've experienced that. How is a Christ follower mean? It's when instead of loving God and loving neighbor, I love myself. Reject God and reject neighbor. And here he's, he's giving this warning. He's saying you can devour one another. If you don't use this freedom the way it was intended by God, you can devour one another. If your self-centered appetites control you because you're free, no, he's saying this freedom is to love. And there's really two options as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can love one another or we can destroy one another. I mean, those are the two options. Love each other, or destroy each other. And he uses language to describe destroying one another. Watch out, or you might destroy each other for biting and devouring. In our minds, we automatically go to, what does that look like? It's how we treat each other and destroy each other with our words, our slander, our gossip, our adultery, our lying, our cheating, our stealing. All of that devours, destroys. None of that's love. But I would subtly say one of the things that we do to devour and bite and destroy each other is this word should. We enslave ourselves and we enslave others with should. It's subtle and quiet. It's what we believe in our own minds. Some of the stuff we won't even say to each other, but these expectations of what you should and shouldn't do is felt by everyone That if you're a real follower of Christ, maybe sometimes people won't say this, but they act like it. Sometimes it comes out their mouths. If you really follow Jesus, you need to look like this, smell like this, talk like this, dress like this, act like this. If you're really following Jesus, then you'll believe this doctrine or that doctrine. You'll follow and sing these songs and not those songs. If you're really a follower of Christ, then you shouldn't do these things and you should do those things. And here's the danger of that. It's already going on in my head all the time, all the stuff that I should do. It's already going on in my head all the time. And then when a Christian leader or a Christian friend tells me I should, they pile on top of my should already pile with more should and more should. And it beats me down. And should becomes an incubator for shame. You know what an incubator is? place that something grows. Shame grows when I live in all kinds of should. I should be a better. I should do this. I should do that if I only did this. And then other people say that to me, and I go, yeah, I'm such a I'm garbage. I, I can't, I'm worthless. I'm not even a real follower. Shame begins to grow and shame is a prison. I mean, go back to the beginning of the Bible and look at Adam and Eve and see how shame becomes a prison and keeps them from the freedom God designed for them to experience. All this shame comes and they hide and the evil one uses this shame as a powerful tool to enslave you and me because I already feel like I'm not good enough, I already feel like I'm not smart enough, I'm not holy enough, I'm not worshiping God right, I'm not pure enough, I already feel all that way, and then my brothers and sisters tell me that, and I feel it deeply, and it pushes me away from a relationship with God, it doesn't draw me in to a relationship with God. So does that mean that there's nothing I should do? No. What should a Christian do? It's pretty simple. We love and liberate people when we follow Jesus and his word. I mean, his words are captured for us in the Bible. And when we listen to his words, follow his words, obey his words, that's where freedom is found. That's where love is. So the only thing that each one of us should do is listen to Jesus in his word. Again, John 10. 27. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. He goes on in John 14:15, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He goes on in verse 25, All this I've spoken to you while I'm with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, that Spirit of truth, whom the Father is going to send in my name, He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I don't give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. I mean, how many of us as Christians are living in fear and anxiety and we don't have peace but he's giving us the prescription here. He's saying, I died and rose again, and I'm giving you my spirit. My spirit that lives inside everyone who believes. And that's how you listen to my voice. Because here's what the spirit does incredible. The spirit was used by God to carry along the authors of scripture to write the 66 books of our Bible. The spirit of God wrote that, superintended that. And when you put your trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God lives inside you so that when you read, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, your heart syncs up with the truth of the Word of God and you hear His voice. It sinks. You know when Bluetooth and wireless isn't working on your phone or your tablet and there's no sync, there's no connection? People that read the Word of God and have no faith in put their faith in trust and they have no spirit live inside them, they read the Bible and they're like, this is just junk. But when you come to know Christ, His Spirit lives inside you and connects, sinks truth with you. And that's how Jesus begins to guide you, to follow you, to lead you. The single best way to grow as a follower of Christ, this is where freedom is found. It's found in obeying Jesus, and listening to His voice. So in this Word of God, the Bible, it's incredible. It talks about lifestyle, it talks about finances, it talks about sexuality, it talks about words, attitudes, actions. It talks about life at home, life at work. It talks about all kinds of sphere of life. And so many times we don't want to hear truth, so we mute it. We rip a page out of the Bible, but God is speaking, he's communicating, he's teaching you through his word synced up with his spirit. And as you hear it, don't ignore it, don't mute it, listen for His voice and He will guide you. If you want to be truly free, listen to God's voice and obey it and walk in that. And the single best way you can get backwards and enslaved again is let the should of your mind that's not recorded in the Bible, let that be what drives you and animates you and you will get distracted and spin and turn and feel beaten down by shame and not want to do any following anymore. Just some practical advice. I'm working on this myself. Stop telling people they should do anything unless it's written in the Bible. It's just basic stuff. God, in His Spirit, carried along the writers of the Scriptures to tell us what He wants us to know. When He draws a line in the sand, that's the spirit of truth. If He doesn't draw a line in the sand, it may be your opinion, it could be your perspective, it could be your tradition, it could be a whole heck of a lot of things, but it may not be what I should tell you, that you should do this. And my answer back to someone who says, you should do this, is where is that written in the Bible? Because if we could, I say this gently. If, if I could stop shooting on you and you could stop shooting on me we may learn a freedom where the Bible guides us and we hear his voice and we follow him we know his heart what he says we believe and we follow and obey but if we just stay with all the shoulds that are not talked about in the Bible and those become our marching orders then we're divided And there's destruction and bitterness and hardship, not freedom and peace. So as a person, I've been working through this, wrestling through this, because for 42 years, I've grown up with a lot of things I should do in my head. And I've grown up hearing a lot of things from a lot of people of what I should and shouldn't do. So many times, that's become a distraction from what Jesus says. I should do, how I should obey, how I should follow. So where the Bible is silent, we can have an opinion, we can have a perspective, but we hold that a lot looser than what we hold the Scriptures and what God commands. And what I'm finding is that when I'm a part of a church family, I'm under spiritual authority, the authority of the elders and pastors. And so what, I, what I'm finding myself doing and finding incredible freedom in this is that where does the Bible say I should do certain things? I'm going to obey that and do that. I want my heart to sync up to what the God said in His Word. And where I'm not sure, I'm going to get counsel, and I'm going to follow the wisdom and the spiritual authority of my pastors and elders who govern me. And those two things working together, God's Spirit in my heart applying the truth of the Bible and obeying it, and the community of believers through the authority of the church working together incredible freedom, my friends, incredible joy, incredible opportunity, out of prison, out of shame, into freedom. That's what he wants to invite you into. Would you join me in recognizing how many times we say, you should do this and you should do that, and check it up against your Bible, and maybe, just maybe, stop it's enslaving you and enslaving others and keeping us from the joy that Christ purchased, that we will enjoy forever, that we can start enjoying now. Would you pray with me? Good Father, you are gentle and patient with us. You know your children. You know our story. You know our journey. You know our brokenness you know our fears and our anxieties and you came to free us from all of this and to give us abundant life and you gently and courageously graciously lead us with your voice through your words in the Bible so every son and daughter in this place pray that they would discern the difference between a should that comes from the Bible, from your heart, and the should that leads us to shame and guilt, the shoulds that the evil one uses to distract and destroy and to divide, and the shoulds that are leading us to life and peace and joy from your mouth. Oh, God, would you help us as your sons and daughters to use every freedom we have to love, to love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, to listen to your voice, and then love our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, the people that are different than us, our enemies. We would love people as you have loved us. Use us, I pray, to show the world love. God, if there are people today that have not put their trust in you, Maybe they're hearing some of this stuff for the first time and they're hearing that they can be forgiven and their sin and shame can be removed. But They've yet to trust you with their life. Pray that even now you would draw them to yourself and cause this time we share together to lead them into a relationship with you. There's no magic words or formula, but they simply have to say, I believe in you. And your word says that you will come in and change them, adopt them as son, a daughter, and give them new life. So I pray if that would be any person here today, either here present or online, that you would do a mighty work to grow your family and spread your love one person at a time. I pray this through Christ's strong name. Amen.